and well, that, that's that's more than we can ask of some the, of the the, the, the coach sports teams. just went and jumped ship. I mean, like at the end of the season, he he decided that he was done. He he's like, I'm I'm taking the ball and my gray cup, and I'm leaving. Well, <laughs> and I'm going to Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan. <laughs> to be fair, we did kind of stumble our way through the season last year. Well, uh, no, I think we actually played very well last year. Well, we, we played well. We were also lucky. Eh. Yeah. Luck is skill. Just <laughs> slightly. <laughs> it just depends on how you look at it. Uh, I look on it as skill. Well, <clears throat> anyway. If he does go to Saskatchewan, I mean, you know. No, the, no not if. Okay. Okay. He is the, old, going. the two possibilities are that they do really well, but that they yes. do really poorly, and which would be hilarious. <laughs> either way is, are you suggesting that either way it's a win for the, uh, it's the all fan? You, of it's it. all in how you look at it. Welcome back to another episode of Scouting Stuff You Should Know. This is episode 15. And, um, I mean, obviously we punted this one a week because otherwise I would have meant recording on Mother's Day. So we're, uh, we're completely winging this because we have two mics and three of us. So, of course, you got myself, Scouter Ken. Yeah, you've got Scouter Colin here. And we're also joined by a uh, former rover, Ted. That's right. So, what we were going to talk about last week um, was predominantly inspired by the event that was the subject matter of the little PSA episode that I released last week instead. Of course, the, uh, the massive fire that has ravaged the northern Alberta town of Fort McMurray. Not a town, actually. A city. Some 90,000 people had to Pretty be evacuated. 80, 88,000 <clears throat> All right. Um, and I mean, I think the fire has kind of moved on from the city, although I don't believe it's yet been said that the people can return to their homes. Um, certainly some 1,600 buildings, many of those homes, um, have been destroyed. So there are going to be a lot of people who uh, don't get to return home right away. Um, was actually, <laughs> in addition to everything else today... Um, food prep and first communion for my daughter and the attending party afterwards. Um, my wife and I did find some time actually to pop by one of the relief centers um, to spend a couple hours volunteering there. So there's still a lot of need. There's still um, a lot of people who <laughs> need stuff, need just, you know, the the basic things that really we do take for granted. I mean, I was sorting soap for about two hours. Um, Soap is important. It is. It is. So, what we wanted to talk about, kind of in light of that, was emergency preparedness. And, I mean, emergency preparedness week was um, a couple of weeks ago now, so this isn't quite as timely as I'd hoped. Um, But, you know, it's... There was a really pointed example to emergency preparedness week in the Fort McMurray fires, in the attending evacuation. And so, you know, it seemed, and 
still is in a lot of ways, a really relevant topic to, uh, to dive into. So where do we want to start? Uh, any, any thoughts? Um, well, uh, from my perspective, I think we should look at it from, a um, uh, you have a natural disaster. Um, they can take any, any shape, any form. You've got wind, fire, um, uh, you know, rains, flooding, that kind of stuff. Uh, you've got, uh, the wildfires, brush fires, um, those kinds of things, earthquakes. Um, and they're all different in how you prepare for them. But I, I think there is a commonality, um, amongst all of that is, uh, when the emergency happens, you are left to basically sustain your basic needs. So food, water, um, oxygen, <laughs> clothing, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, I'm going to recommend you don't keep pressurized oxygen tanks in your house. <laughs> probably, probably a good thing, but that, that, that's what I'm, uh, you know, you, you want to have those basic necessities of life. Yeah. The other thing is that depending on where you are, there are certain things that are, your area is going to be vulnerable to and certain things you're not. Because so I remember <clears throat> years ago when the tsunami hit the Philippines, I was home visiting at Christmas. And I sort of like walked out on the front porch of my mom's place in the middle of Alberta with like the Rocky Mountains to the west and like, you know, quite a lot of continent to the northeast and south. And I kind of like, well, that's one thing that is that is not going to be happening here anytime soon. However... Where, where you are, there's certain things that are going to happen. We're not where we are in the middle of Alberta. Earthquakes, not really a thing. Um, anything coming in off the ocean, not really a thing. However, things like wildfires can happen. So wherever you Tornadoes. are. Yeah. So wherever you are, there's going to be certain things that you're vulnerable to. And those are the things that you sort of think about and think, okay, well, if, there, if we were going into a heightened warning for that, what would I do to prepare for those? Well, you think about the major events that have happened in Alberta, even within the last year. Um, we uh, Calgary saw extensive flooding uh, before the uh, stampede. A couple of years ago. Was that two years ago now? Maybe even three, because I think that was when I was still down east. I think um, three sounds about, two at least, and three sounds about right, because I know at work we were, uh, right when I started, uh, with my current employer, they were kind of kicking off this project to consolidate IT equipment um, somewhere that the Bow River was not going to periodically consume. My apologies for that factual inaccuracy. But, you know, I mean, it's still it's still relevant because, yeah, parts of the province do see... Like, even when we were at um, the, the Scouts Brotherhood Jamboree back in 2005, right? Um, Camp in Pisa. I mean... You remember driving down on the little prep trip we did because SBJ was in July-ish and we did that prep trip in May, right? And I mean, all that country was just waterlogged. You know, all the, uh, wherever we saw like uh, irrigation channels, they were full. Um, <clears throat> sloughs had overrun their bound, their, their normal boundaries. Um Rivers were very, very high. Calgary had some significant flooding when we drove through it. Uh, and then even on down, like past Pincher Creek and, you know, getting into the mountains, there were a lot of areas that were really, there was an abundance of water. So flooding does happen. I mean, that's a significant, 
concern that at least parts of Alberta have to deal with. Even here in Edmonton, there is a bit of a flooding risk. I mean, not... Well, if you're living in the River Valley. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's only, a, there's only a handful of communities that are really at risk for flooding. Most of Edmonton is at the top of the River Valley. And I mean, that would have to be like apocalyptic levels of flooding to inconvenience most of Edmonton. But yeah, there are some communities down in the River Valley. There's a, you know, there's a water treatment plant and a handful of other things that could, and in the past have been affected adversely by flood conditions. So even here, it's kind of a consideration. So knowing that we have all these different, uh, these, these different emergency situations, um, I think what we need to look at is how does one, um, you know, you can't really prepare, uh, we can't speak to, uh, a hurricane. Well, actually I can Okay. Well, again, right, that's, right. that's from living on the East Coast for eight years. Sorry, that that's that's right. Ted can't actually speak about a hurricane, but I'm saying from a from an Albertan perspective, we can't discuss a hurricane preparedness. No. We can discuss tornado, but that's the extent the extent of it. I think we're we're unlikely to experience Stanley Cup riots anytime in the uh, immediate future too. <laughs> The Oilers are rebuilding, okay? Just let it go. The the Flames are not in the playoffs either. (laughs) Ten years of rebuilding. I think my favorite joke, my my favorite joke about that is still, you know, Twitter has been around um, for a number of years now, but it has not been around long enough for an Oilers fan to tweet about their team in the playoffs. (sighs) Indeed. <laughs> Lasai. <clears throat> All right. So let's uh, back on back on the emergency preparedness. So what should one have in their house as far as emergency preparedness go? Um, the people of Fort McMurray had very little time to uh, pick up what they no. deemed necessary and and leave. And I mean, the fact that they got everybody out. You know that quickly. Oh, oh that, yeah, that's no, amazing. It it speaks volumes to the fire chief and the 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 people in in that emergency response, uh, in that re- emergency response uh, team to to coordinate getting these people out and to safe places. Um, I I, I personally from I don't have an emergency preparedness kit. Like I don't have anything in my house for any emergencies aside from a first aid. That that's that's essentially what I've got. I know for us, um, like I mean, it was never something that I worried a lot about uh, <laughs> before I got married, before I had kids. Um, certainly, having kids kind of put it into perspective. I mean, I know one of the first things we did when we. Uh, moved in here is, you know, like you can see the staircase right over there. We're recording this in my basement and you can see the staircase right over there. And there's a sort of a crawl space underneath the stairs. And I mean, there's stuff in there, but it's stuff that I could very quickly throw out and, you know, get out of the way and buried back in there. Like there's a supply of water that we periodically refresh and some flashlights and batteries and stuff like that. Um, one of the first things we did just because, you know what, I mean, Tornadoes do happen and we live, you know, like this community is outside of Edmonton, you know, like we're kind of just right on the edge of farmland. So we're a little bit more susceptible to 
uh, tornadoes than we would have been living in the middle of Edmonton, which we were doing before. Um, so, you know, that was one thing that we, uh, put together shortly after we moved in. There's also a more comprehensive emergency kit in there. Um, they were handing them out at work actually, uh, several months ago. So I grabbed one and it's in there as well. Um, but really that's kind of our shelter in place area is just crawl space under the stairs there. So one thing that a lot of situations could have in common is that you'd be, you know, at the very least preparing for a few days without some utilities. So a few days without water, a few days without power. So hence one hurricane season in Halifax, essentially what I would do is I had, you know, some empty two liter pop bottles that if there was something coming up, because we, the, the storms start, you know, sort of near the sort of near the Gulf of Mexico, and they come up the eastern seaboard of the states. So we would actually get a fair amount of warning when they were coming. So the baseline was was that I had basically some empty some empty bottles could be filled up with water in a hurry, um, a few canned goods, some spare batteries for the flashlight, some candles, and that was the baseline. And then if there was something coming, that's when I would look at ramping it up, putting away a little more food, filling up the water bottles. But there's yeah. Did you ever consider filling the bathtub with water? Yep. Yep. Uh, I've heard of that, but I've never actually done that for any kind of... I also considered uh, filling the two liter pop bottles first so that I wouldn't, you know, <clears throat> have to drink bathtub water. Well, no, it's not necessarily for the bath... Uh, for, for, for drinking, Ted. Um, the, um, the utilities also involve your toilet. Yeah. So you can pail in a tank of water into your toilet and actually still flush it. Should that, should that yeah. be a problem? So, um, that, that is a, uh, a thing to keep in mind as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. I mean, now granted <clears throat> in a tornado, a bathtub full of water could almost be a structural liability, but on the other hand, I mean, Um, you know, even then, like certainly, yeah, like we've got some water jugs and I mean, you don't really have time to tornado warnings have been improving by some measure, but still you don't generally have a lot of time when a tornado is bearing down on you. So for us, it's much more about just having a supply of water underneath and well, if we got to go to the bathroom, we'll figure that out when it happens. We do have toilet paper under there though. So that's something. Um, so Yeah. I mean, and in terms of like shelter in place, preparedness, other things that could be good to have, although I mean, obviously now here we start getting into some risk, like, you know, I do have a camp stove, right? And some propane bottles. On the one hand, they could prove a liability, right? There's an explosion risk, compressed flammable gas. It's kind of a thing. Um, So on the one hand, you might be kind of leery about incorporating those into a shelter in place, especially if you know, the threat is a tornado and there's a risk of stuff flying around occasionally. Um, But on the other hand, having equipment like that means that, you know, if I am without power for a few days, at least some of the food that's sitting in my freezer is, you know, I can cook up and (laughs) it can, you know, it can be eaten. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, within the next 24 hours, but the point is if the power's off, sure, a lot of that's going to go to waste, but I can grab one or two things and I can cook something up and then I can have, you know, a meal for my family for the next 24 hours or so, right? Like it's, although obviously you still want a lot of, you know, non-perishable items. 
my thought process for um, uh, emergency preparedness, uh, I, we're talking about tornadoes here, but let's just talk in a in a broader sense. Um, tornadoes are more like seek shelter wherever you can, ride out the storm, and then deal with the aftermath. So let's talk about the aftermath of most emergency events. Some of them involve evacuations where you just you don't have much of an option. You just have to pick up and go. Um, the other ones are where you can ride it out. Now, that's not to say that some people haven't ridden out a, uh, a forest fire uh, or a wildfire in their location. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I've heard of... of of situations where the, there's been the mandated evacuation order and there's always that news agency that's hanging out there taking taking uh or documenting it to the end and there's always that the one guy end. yeah the one the one guy that's hanging out you know still on camera you know Manhattan shut down for that snowfall uh in the winter <laughs> okay let's you know <laughs> And give everyone the benefit of the doubt here, okay? <laughs> it's emergency preparedness, right? That that was actually some pretty kick-ass snow. I mean, they got way more yes. snow than we did this year, so. Y- exactly, right? So it's the reason why we're in a drought. <laughs> yep. But um, let's say, hypothetically, you had uh, 20 minutes and you had to be out of your house and down the road. What would you take with you? Aside from like, if you had, you know, in Ken's case, you know, family, that's kind of important to make sure you take with you. But uh, like, for me, I'm a, I'm a single guy. I have 20 minutes. What am I going to pack? What am I going to take? Um, my passport, because <laughs> it's government issued ID, along with my driver's license, right? So uh, important government documents, I, I, I feel that is, it's important to me to take. Um, because I feel that material things like clothing and that kind of stuff couldn't be purchased after the, after the event. Um, the other thing would be water and I would probably take, you know, a couple of liters of water at any rate so that I could get to where I am, uh, where I would be staying and be able to get water. Now, who knows how long that's going to be. Yeah. That's the, that is the variable of amongst all of that stuff is if you had to evacuate and go somewhere, sure, they have assigned evacuation centers for you, but where are those? Well, and those aren't necessarily a picnic either. Um, right. A lot of times what you get is a bunch of people in a civic auditorium, which is great in like the immediate future. But one of the things that's happened here is that there is an outbreak of gastro at some of the places where people were staying. And actually that's quite common. That happened in Calgary after the floods three years ago, that was happening in the Superdome after hurricane Katrina. And remember how we said soap was important. I mean, it kind of comes down to how important basic hygiene is. Um, those places, well, I mean, we even saw that at like, you know, WJ, I mean, you could track the waves of sickness moving through the camp by the ready availability of hand sanitizer or lack thereof at the uh, <laughs> yeah. bathroom and shower houses, right? So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, <clears throat> in these situations, maintaining basic hygiene is troublesome. And there's only so much you can do there because, 
I mean, those places, they have plumbing facilities that are designed to accommodate, you know, somebody, somebody in every seat for like three hours at a time. Right. Not a whole bunch of people staying there day in, day out. And if you're in a situation where it's like literally a bunch of cots stacked next to each other on a, you know, on, on the floor of the rink, you know, without any ice there. Well, I mean, that's people in proximity like that. That is, ex- that is like a perfect example of how disease spreads. Yep. Uh, it's kind of one of those inevitable things. And actually, you know, this just twigged something in my mind too. And I mean, <clears throat> I don't think I want to carry this level to, or this discussion to the level of, you know, if you need to suddenly become a refugee from your country, um, I, I think that's a little bit beyond the scope of what I wanted to talk about tonight, but we'll do that next week. <laughs> but it is interesting because, um, of course we've, uh, I've known a number of people and, you know, we've been a little bit involved ourselves as well, but a number of people who've been involved with, um, some of the Syrian refugee families that have come over. And one of the things that has been a real constant, uh, amongst the Syrian refugees is, um, poor, poor dental health, uh, like exceedingly poor dental health over, I think if I remember the statistics that I've heard it's something like 60% of them um, have significant dental problems. And that, again, just comes down to, you know, a refugee camp isn't exactly a place that's conducive to maintaining proper oral hygiene, right? I mean, come on, like toothpaste is going to be in short, short supply, right? Um, So that is certainly, you know, a problem that uh, a lot of those people have had. And it's something to keep in mind, you know, too, for, um, like even for, um, even if you have to evacuate for three days, I mean, you don't brush your teeth for three days, like that's going to have some kind of impact. If you don't brush your teeth for six months, that's definitely going to have some kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, just kind of looking around the basement here. I mean, I know, like I say, there's the emergency stuff in the other room there. So obviously that would be grab and go if we, uh, if we did have to go actually just, uh, just under the, uh, the television here, um, on the left-hand side, there's a small little computer with two hard drives hooked up to it. At minimum, I could grab one of those and then at least all of our photos are uh, coming with me. So, um, well, Colin, what you were saying about what would you want to grab and thinking about things like passports and government documents. I mean, that's one thing to think about at the sort of lower level of readiness is, okay, if we, if we were, you know, if we're getting to the point where, hey, a tornado might come through or the warnings are going up, oh, well, what, what do I want to grab? And then sort of mm-hmm. figure, because you can't, you can't stay at high level of readiness for this stuff all the time. No. Um, so, I mean, it really... There's the, uh, actually, funnily enough, one of the last things we did, we just wrapped up with the Beaver Scouts. And one of the last things we did with them was we created, um, well, there's different terms for it. Um, The slightly less polite term is the bug out bag. And the slightly more polite term is the go bag. Mm -hmm. And either way, I mean, it's the idea that, you know, the purpose of the bag is really just, you know, to provide, and Colin, you um, pretty much said this already, but, you know, to provide the user with the bare necessities for safety and survival in the event of an emergency. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that an emergency specifically that requires, you know, the user or a family to leave their home. I mean, ideally, if a go bag never gets used, that's obviously the best case scenario. But in an emergency, you know, I mean, obviously much better to be prepared than not. I think the idea of emergency preparedness um, and the to-go bag is, you know, have that prior planning about it, right? Um, You know, you want to be thinking about what you want to take before you have 20 minutes to decide what you, before it's forced upon you to decide what you want to take. Exactly. You need to be having that kind of discussion, you know, now when you're not experiencing any kind of undue stress about evacuating or uh, an immediate threat and having all of that planned out. So, okay, yeah, we want to make sure we have some some uh, some water or a flat of water or whatever. Um, Anybody seen Spaceballs? <laughs> Take only what you need to survive. <laughs> I'm I, only the uh, the old scouts will, uh, and by the old scouts I mean probably all of the leaders. So, yeah, will, the scouters will will, <laughs> will get that reference. Although They're, I hear Spaceballs Two is being made, so you know, <laughs> yeah, and anything is possible. <laughs> Today, Ted learned that Mel Brooks actually isn't dead yet. <laughs> what? what? He's not. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right, so. Um, Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is just, you know, it is the stuff that you don't want to be thinking about last minute, right? So for... But if if photos are important to you, then know which ones are the most important to you so that you are grabbing them with that time, in that Mm -hmm. timeline, you are saying, okay, this is important to me. This is important to me. Mm -hmm. I want to have this and I'm going to put it in this box and it's going to go out to the vehicle or... Yep. I mean... Like just, just looking around the room here again, like the only two photos, like if I had to run out right now, sorry, the only three photos I couldn't get back are those three up there because those were all shot on film. Everything else here, it's all shot on digital. So I grab one of those hard drives on my way out the door and everything comes with me and not just actually, I mean, I don't really want to make this like... Uh, uh, back up your computers talk, but can't hurt. It's, you know what, if you do have a lot of, I mean, almost everybody has digital photos now, right? So if you have a lot of digital photos, if you have a lot of documents on your computer, if you have um, just a lot of stuff that you want to or need to keep and it's stored electronically, setting up some kind of regular backup scheme where you're constantly archiving these files to multiple hard drives um, is a really good idea because then all you need to do is grab one on your way out the door and you're, you know, everything's still with you. Um, I mean, I use cloud storage a lot for this exact reason too, because you know what? Every one of my computers could light on fire right now. And apart from the fact that I would completely interrupt this recording, everything that I needed on them, I could get back because, you know, it's all stored on one drive or Dropbox or whatever. But Definitely. I mean, it doesn't take very long to set up a backup. There's a lot of different ways to do it, and a lot of them are free. And it does let you then save. I mean, you know, because all these photos on my wall can be reprinted. 
and you know like you don't I mean, at the end of the day, they're just photos. Obviously, it's the people in the photos that are more important. That's right. Um, Grab the people first. Yeah. Photos second. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, if you do have one central repository that takes 30 seconds to grab, that is all your memorabilia, why wouldn't you set that up for yourself and why wouldn't you grab it? Unless you absolutely didn't have that last 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, at pay, even things like, you know, if you if you have a loved one's ashes on the mantelpiece, figuring out now that you want to grab those is a good thing to do rather than, you know, getting down the highway and going, oh, no. We left grandma on the mantel. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's, that's not cool. <laughs> no. Um, the, um, but okay, I mean, stepping away from, you know, that kind of stuff. I think when we were talking about this with the beavers, um, some of the things that we kind of, you know, identified as being critical, and this is, you know what, this is true actually as much for uh, children as for adults, but you know, the, the basic contents of a go bag should be stuff like your emergency contact information, some money, uh, I mean, you know, just cash that's put aside and you just resolve, you know what, we're not going to touch it. Um, for kids, one particularly, because you know what, you can actually make like smaller, I mean, for small children, they really can't carry more than about 10 pounds and you shouldn't expect them to. So you kind of have to pack light. You're really just preparing like a 24 hour bag for them, even though, um, most government agencies and like the CDC, uh, recommend 72 hour preparedness in your, um, in your go bag. But I mean, small kids, it's kind of just going to be a 24 hour thing. And then the parents will have to be the ones carrying everything else that makes it up to 72 hours. But still, I mean, in a 24 hour bag, you could have, you know, uh, contact info, just in case they get separated, a little bit of money, um, for kids, especially a recent family photo for two reasons. One, it's a comfort item for them. And two, if they do get separated, then it's something they can show around, you know, and be just like, well, this is my mom and dad. This is what they look like. Um, one of the things that's crossed my mind and it may not really be an important item, but, um, for all intensive purposes, a deck of cards. I was just coming to that actually, ah, well, not just, um, but shortly. Um, so yeah, in terms of like the really needful stuff still, uh, kids can probably carry like one extra change of clothes for themselves and maybe an extra pair of socks on top of that. Um, and then basic toiletries, toothbrush, toothpaste, uh, maybe some antibacterial wipes or hand sanitizer, sunscreen, Kleenex, band-aids, um, medications, you know, if there's things they need to take, uh, a flashlight or some glow sticks, um, batteries for the flashlight, or there are some wind-up flashlight models too. There are. I tried to wind up flashlight. I found it uh, it wasn't terribly robust. But that's a good point about medications. So as part of your thinking, if there are medications that you take, part of your you know go bag, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to think, okay, well, you know how many of these how many of these medications should I have in there? Yep. I mean, I know like my wife, um, you know, she has her allergies, so she needs to take uh, her allergy medication regularly, and um, she's always got. You know, she always makes sure that there's uh, a few, um, there's, a, there's a few in the car and there's a few in her purse, in addition to the regular supply that's, you know, up on top of the fridge uh, that she takes nightly. Um, bottled water, non-perishable snacks, 
obviously keeping allergies in mind. Um, one of those emergency space blankets. The uh, they look like they honestly look like aluminum foil. But yeah, I was gonna say they're 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 really thin and they, yep, they're they look, thin, they're light, but yeah. you know what? They uh, they work. They do a phenomenal job. If you if anyone has ever been fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to have to use one, they are very effective at reflecting heat and uh, keeping one warm. Well, I mean, you know, if in something extended, if you had to make a blanket fort, you know, to live in for a while, you know, I could also see those being looking pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, all space agey and aluminum. And, <laughs> and you know, you could also double and uh, use it as a mirror and, you know, you'd have a place to look at yourself. And Not say, bad for signaling say, either. Yeah. <laughs> so you could take a good long look at yourself. Yes, Ted. Uh, that's exactly what that's for. Or the inability to make those decisions. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, you know, blanket. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, emergency poncho, another, uh, another, you know, really small light item, but again, kind of useful, uh, especially if you have to evacuate during something that involves rain hurricanes um or just a lot of rain or just a lot of rain flooding um and a whistle too those are uh i mean just because again you know you get separated well just make a lot of noise um see what happens or it's good like if um from a getting separated if you get separated and you're by yourself you can draw attention to exactly to yourself so as i was telling the beavers you might be out of sight but you're not going to be out of earshot for a while mm-hmm. um now, I mean, if you were going to extend that out to a three-day bag, obviously you'd want additional changes of clothes. Um, you might even want to, at that point, look at packing yourself a dedicated set of sleep clothes, um, a hat, more water, more food, soap, washcloth, small towels, more money. Did candles ever make the list? Um, candles didn't make my list, but, well, okay, but here's the thing. Like, when I was putting this together, I mean, I was really kind of just scaling it up by age, right? So mm-hmm. um, so when you get to, like, your cub-aged kids, um, stuff like knives, multi-tools um, can also be good to include. Uh, for older youth, fire lighting equipment, matches, yeah, lighters, matches candles. Yep, flint um, steel. Maybe even, you know, some other tools, a small axe or a folding shovel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you get to like the optional items, comfort items, um, a stuffed animal or a deck of cards or crayons or a small notebook. Um, even more socks. Darn it, socks are just useful. <laughs> mm. I mean, the uh, deck of cards, that's something because you could also have to spend a lot of time fighting boredom. Yep. And a deck of cards is something that's also, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do with it. And you can, a group of people can also, yeah, kill some serious time with a deck of cards. Definitely. Um, I'm just trying to think what else here. Uh Small pillows. I mean, we get some pretty significant winters here in Alberta, so toques and mitts become a a good thing to pack along extra. I was thinking for us, for severe weather, we we do get blizzards and significant snowfall. <laughs> um, so um, some people have experienced that across the continent as well. So what you know, those kinds of things that you know can keep you 
uh, entertained underwear. when the mm-hmm. when the power is out. Um, you know, musical instruments, that kind of thing, are also very valuable. Right, I'm going to recommend against a sousaphone for a go bag. Uh, well, it's a little big for a go bag, don't you think? A little bit. It's heavy. All right. Um, Stove and fuel, I kind of already mentioned, but I mean, you know, especially if like you're evacuating in a vehicle, that's certainly something to throw in the back. Um, Survival manual or like a scouting field book. I mean, just, you know, something that you can go to as a reference, right? Um, If you've got a first aid kit in your car, that's never a bad idea. Yep. Um, For a compass or a GPS unit, although these days, you know, you could also just get a series of throwaway phones, right? Because any, you know, run of the mill, um, even the lower end smartphones on a pay as you go talk and data plan are going to have a pretty decent map app on them, um, for finding your way around batteries, extra batteries or a solar battery charger or a battery pack for your devices. Some of which you can actually get those, uh, in solar too. So, um, uh, just one comment to the cell phone, uh, the pay-as-you-go cell phone. Um, remember, though, that cell phones are only as good as your location to the nearest cell tower. So if you find yourself, you know, uh, away from an urban center, that may not be um, necessarily useful to you. Um, so it may be prudent to have a map of the area uh, along with a compass. Yeah. And then that being said, maybe you need to brush up on your compass and map skills. <laughs> Don't we all? Although <clears throat> a GPS too. I mean, that could also work. Cell phone chargers, if you're, if you're going to be bugging out. I mean, even if you're going to an urban center. Yeah. It, nothing, I can imagine a few things more frustrating than, you know, running out of somewhere and having your phone die and not being able to charge it up. Yep. And I mean, okay, to be fair, during a lot of emergency situations, there is, of course, always the risk that the... Uh, the uh, grid, the the mobile communications grid will become saturated. Um, and, you know, I mean, you'll see a breakdown in the effectiveness of mobile devices as phones at any rate or as means of texting. But, you know, still, I mean, they are a useful means of communication. Um, so if you do decide to include them in your pack, definitely do make sure that you've included some way to, yeah, charge them up, keep them powered, because, you know what, if that's... Um, part of what you deem important to carry with you. Um, you definitely want to make sure that it's going to last longer than whatever the charge was when you got the 20 minute evacuation order. Well, handily enough, um, they have those, uh, solar panel charge cells that you can actually use to charge up your phone with. Um, so, uh, to add to Ken's comment about the, the additional power, um, a solar cell will actually provide that that power to charge your device should you need it. Yep. Um, so all of this is really, and again, all of these things should be collected into, and you know, each family's approach is going to be different, right? I mean, you could have, for the small kids, they could have like just their little 24-hour kits that, you know, um, and again, um, you obviously can't expect them to carry the entirety of three days worth of equipment. Children, you know, seven and under are just, they're not going to be able to do that. So you, the parent are going to wind up be carrying it anyways. 
For older kids, you can start to expect them to carry more. I mean, certainly a kid at like scout age should be able to carry three days worth of stuff on, on his or her, you know, just in his or her own pack. Um, or maybe you just make the decision, you know, what? we're just going to have like the one family go bag that is full of everything, everybody's stuff, everything we need. And it's just, regardless of how you actually go about deciding to do this, once you've made the decision, how you're going to do it, once you've assembled all of these things together. And I mean, you know, you want to choose good, sturdy bags for kids. It can help to choose, you know, all of the same kind of backpack, maybe in different colors. And then each kid just knows, okay, I'm the blue bag. I'm the orange bag, whatever. Um, however you decide to go about it, you assemble these kits. They're located somewhere there. It's easily accessible, preferably near a door. Um, you can get like those little, um, hanging fabric shelves from Ikea, right? Like those are perfect for storing kid sized backpacks at any rate. And then you just don't, you know, you don't touch them. I mean, maybe once every three months, you, you open them up and like, if you got to pull the water bottles out and put fresh water bottles in or pull the snacks out and put fresh snacks in, like you can do that, right? I mean, you want to keep them fresh. You don't want anything to be rancid in them when you need it the most, but Bananas were a poor choice. Yes. (laughs) It started off rare, but now it's blue. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, once you've got them assembled, they're just there and you don't go into them, you don't touch them and hopefully you never use them. But if you need to, they're right there. You can just grab them and you know what? Maybe there are some other things in your house that you want to grab, like your backup hard drive, like grandma's ashes, whatever it is. But the point is when you have only 20 minutes to get out the door, everything that you absolutely need for survival or just about everything that you absolutely need for short-term survival is already packed, already ready, waiting by the door. So you actually do have the opportunity to then quickly say, okay, is there anything else around here that we want to take with us and you can grab it and you can get out? Um, 20 minutes, uh, a 20 minute notice should not be, uh, what do we need to take? It should be, we are taking the following. Yeah. True. Yeah. I guess not great wording, but you know, the point is you definitely have a lot less to think about and worry about, you know, like your, your critical stuff, your needful stuff, it's there, it's ready to go. So if you want to run and just, you know, grab like that one heirloom, you, you have those two minutes. Uh, muscle memory is, is, is how I would, you, you've just trained yourself to say, or like to have all the, the, the list of things that you are, are taking with you. I've got the to-go bag, which has, everything I need in it, like water, food, clothing, all extra cash, whatever you deem necessary to have in that to go bag. Um, and then the other non-essential essentials, we'll call them that. Um, uh, they're in your list too. And you just go and you get them and they get put in the vehicle and away you go. Yep. And I mean, you know what, if it's a worst comes to worst scenario and 20 minutes now becomes two minutes, guess what? You're still packed up. Those bags are in your hand and you're out the door. So, I mean, there's going to, so the thought process is going to be in a few phases. Again, it's going to be, 
what could happen where I am and what would I need to do. Um, <clears throat> and then you figure, you figure out what would you need to hang around your house for, for a while without utilities. And also what would you need to leave your house and go somewhere else? So you figure that out when things are at a low level of risk. Mm-hmm. You know, if the risk level starts to go up, then you maybe start actually putting some of that stuff aside, and then, you know, yeah, it's it's about preacting the situation before it happens, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want to be. Uh, I I believe the the saying is you don't want to be caught with your pants down. God, so. no. Not in a wildfire, definitely not in a hurricane. Yeah. Uh, earthquake? Well, I, I, <laughs> who, earthquake, knows? who knows? But <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of thing happens. Um, but yeah, no, you, you want to you wanna assess what your, the, the risks are in your, your area and how often they can occur. Um, again, Alberta in Edmonton, we don't have to worry about a tsunami, uh, a tsunami or an earthquake or, well... Maybe not an earth, uh, a, a large level earthquake. I guess if there was something on the coast, we might, it might, we might had, rattle a couple of things out here. But. Yeah, we've had, we've had tremors identi- uh, picked up before on, on, uh, on stations. Yeah. So it, it, it can happen, but we would never get the, the huge earth shaking, building destroying no. earthquakes. Um, but yeah. So for us, Floods, fire, and uh, severe snow, I guess, are the, and cold. Yeah. Those are the big ones. Yep. Um, I think that's, I, I think that might be it. I don't know. What 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 else would you worry about in uh, emergency preparedness? No. I don't think so. Or I don't think there's anything else, really. I mean, I want to grab a good book, really. Yeah, but. You, it's the it, it's really the, oh man, the, War the, and Peace. That's what I'm putting in my bag. <laughs> war and Peace. War. It could oh, be no, it oh, could, War and Peace. War and Peace. <laughs> I it heard could be a war long time on a cotton what? hockey arena. <laughs> Who is this Warren? <laughs> war and Peace. <laughs> <laughs> and and what has he got to do with peace? <laughs> Warren's peace. <laughs> about a gun <laughs> <laughs> well you know you know depending if we're talking about a zombie apocalypse a gun might not be a bad thing to have. <laughs> well actually you know what too i mean if you definitely if you research go bags and i mean like here's obviously um <clears throat> this is obviously something i didn't want to discuss with the beaver scouts um but you know what certainly uh <laughs> it's a touchier subject obviously for a lot of different reasons right i mean Private firearms ownership isn't a non-controversial issue or isn't a non-controversial topic or isn't a topic that's wholly devoid of controversy. Um, But yeah, I mean, certainly if you Google around for um, suggestions on what to include in go bags, in, in bug out bags, there is some discussion about, you know, whether, yeah, like a, a small rifle or even like a, uh, a composite bow, um, could be included in the kit. I mean, obviously with the understanding that only individuals who have been properly trained in the, um, in the safe and measured use of these things would ever access them and use them. But I mean, <laughs> certainly, you know, there is, um, you do see definitely some, um, suggestion that these could be things that could optionally be included, 
Um, I mean, I certainly like if someone was a fairly proficient hunter anyways, I could see them possibly including that because you know what, <laughs> if after 72 hours or longer, um, it, you know, I'm like, I could, I could see some edge cases where it might be useful, but again, it is a touchier subject. So yeah. it's not just, you know, um, I, I don't want to, obviously I didn't want to discuss that with five, six and seven year olds. And it's definitely not something I just want to, you know, put out there as saying yeah. definitely include this, but certainly if you look around online, there's a lot of discussion around in, you know, whether these things could be included in a go bag and how they could be safely included in a go bag. So, um, you know, leave that one up to listener discretion. Yeah. <clears throat> We're really just focusing on, you know, if you're living in a place that's affected, threatened by flooding or a wildfire or, um, you know, significantly damaged by an earthquake or whatever, and <clears throat> either ahead of the catastrophic event or having survived the catastrophic event, you need to leave the area, you know, here are some things that you can do to be ready to pick up and leave the area on a very short notice. And then, you know, hopefully by that preparedness, get to a place where then um, aid organizations and the generosity of others is going to, you know, um, be the main thing that then sustains you, right? And whether that's, you know what, maybe I just drive for a couple of days straight and I can get to my friend's house and well, they yes, live, you know, actually. a province over and I can stay with them because they weren't affected by whatever yep. drove me out of my home, whether that's... That's a good point. Um, because if you are going to a higher level of readiness for something, it might be worth saying, oh, hey, um, I got a brother who lives in Vancouver. It might be worth giving them a call and saying, uh, hey, you know, if things uh, kind of go bad here, can I like just get on the highway and come stay with you guys for a bit. Yep. Um, that, and, and that is certainly part of readiness too, right? It's just, yeah, I mean, like we've got friends in Saskatoon, we've got family in Vancouver, I've got friends in Calgary. So it's very much a case of like, you know what, if, uh, yeah, if I needed to suddenly put the family on the highway in relatively short notice, there's three different directions I could go depending on what the issue is. And, you know, I, I know all the people at those places would be willing to put us at least in the short term. Right. And I mean, you know, obviously it's maybe not necessarily reasonable to be able to expect, you know, um, to expect these people to put us up for weeks or months on end. But on the other hand, those first few nights can also be critical, right? Because again, it's the difference between, having, you know, your friend's place to stay at where it's, you know, there's enough plumbing for everybody. There's enough plumbing for everybody. It's plumbing that's designed for constant habitation as opposed to short-term usage by large volumes. Um, and you know, again, you're just, it's your family and maybe one other family there's, you know, so there's less of that risk of, you know, yeah, some sort of, um, <laughs> disease running around and you know, it's just generally, it's a more trustworthy environment too, right? Because I mean, when you're in, you would kind of hope that nobody would take advantage of you if you were just, you know, this row of cots and <laughs> in and amongst many well. rows of cots, but it does happen. So, you know, there's a lot of advantages to that. If you have people, if you know people in places that you could get to in say, um, 
two days or even three days, you know, by all means, you know, and work with them. And, you know, I mean, it's a mutual, it can be a mutual understanding too, you know, be just like, you know what, Hey, we should all be kind of doing this readiness thing. And if we have to bug out, can we come stay with you? If you got to get out quickly, you can come stay with us. Um, these are definitely good relationships to, and agreements to put in place. Uh, I mean, it's, and again, this is something that is maybe a little more present in my mind because I also have to worry about, you know, when you're a parent, unfortunately, you do have to start asking yourself these questions of like, well, crap, like if something happens to me and my wife simultaneously and we're incapacitated or even God forbid killed, who do we you know, what, what happens to the kids? Who do we entrust the kids to? And, you know, those are discussions then that parents have to have with their good friends, uh, who may also be parents or, you know, couples at any rate, just like, you know what, in the event of a disaster, in the event that we're gone, can our kids come to you? So, and this is kind of just an extension of that same line of thinking, right? Um, it's like, you know what, if our house is suddenly gone, can we just come and stay with you for a few days until we can find somewhere else around you, um, where we can, you know, (laughs) have, you know, uh, a roof over our heads. Yeah. Well, Colin is wearing his sunglasses at night for those of you who can't be here in person. It's just so I don't forget them at Ken's house. I'll be quite honest. <laughs> if they're on my face, I'm not going to lose them. That's the uh-huh. important thing. This is my emergency preparedness because, you know, there's nothing like driving into a morning sun and not having your sunglasses Would you, would you say your sunglasses are part of your, you know, go bag uh-huh. from the podcast? I, I would say so, yes. <laughs> I was just say, for, you know, a, humor, a humorous look at emergency preparedness, we, you know, we talked about Mel Brooks, who I'm... Very glad to hear is still with us. Anyway, his son Max Brooks also is famous for writing the Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z. I guess it sounds like it should be called World War Z, not World War Z. So anyway, we'll call it World War Z. However, the Zombie Survival Guide is a is a very amusing uh, look Ted, at you know it's the Canadian version, World War Z. Yes, the <laughs> Canadian nationalization. So 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 the Zombie Survival Guide is actually a very amusing look at you know the thought process of going into preparing for a very specific fictional emergency. We hope. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, the nice thing is like, we'd kind of be insulated. I mean, during the summer months, we're a little bit vulnerable to it, but, um, we, we'd probably be, you know, if, if it happened in the winter, we'd be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're far too far North and zombies lacking, uh, an internal method of heating themselves would, would very quickly become popsicles. Although, given our last winter, I would uh, beg to oh differ. Oh, God. It's an El Nino year. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I mean, I think we've definitely carried the uh, the go bag topic um, to about the extent that we can, and then probably a little further. I think we've circled it. Actually, we've we've we started and we've come back to the the start. Mm-hmm. It is worth noting too that you know a lot of the same stuff that can go into a go bag can also be factored into a shelter in pay, in place plan. Um, you know, like there's definitely a lot of overlap there. So, man, I wonder if there's still like any houses from like the 50s that have like that have like bomb shelters in them. 
I, you know what? I don't know. I think they took all the uh, air raid sirens down. I don't remember seeing one for quite a while. I, I do. Yeah. I remember, I remember my mom and dad pointing them out to us because there was always one by my grandparents' house. And there was one near Southgate too. Yeah. And, and it's kind of just like, what's, why are there, why are there megaphones up on that pole? And they're just like, well, it's a air warning siren. But yeah, that was kind of pre 1989. So, um, progress, I guess, you know, good to see those gone, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, um, so the air raid siren might've been meant a different kind of emergency preparedness as opposed to what we've been discussing. I I think the Diefen bunker has been, I I think the Diefen bunker has been demolished too. So yeah, I think so. Cause that would have been my plan if I were in that part of the country. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I'm sure there are probably still some houses that have fallout shelters in them. Right. Because it's not like, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, Say, hey, look, you know, I mean, okay, sure. The original owner might not be there. They might still be, right? I mean, just some 90-year-old guy who's just like, oh, yeah, the fallout shelter's in back. I almost forgot that it was there. Or, you know, the new family moves in and they're just like, hey, what's this door in the back of the garden? Oh, it's a, whoa, this is cool. It's a fallout shelter. Um, <clears throat> I mean, maybe you could board it up or, <laughs> I don't know, right? But yeah, I'm sure there are still some, but do I know where they are? No, of course not. Uh, certainly this house doesn't have one. But then it was built a lot later than that. So, all right. Well, before we go, um, one shout out I did pencil in was for the good people of Fort McMurray, Alberta, and for the uh, excellent resolve that they have shown in the face of this disaster that has uh, affected their community. So, um, yeah, big shout out to everyone from Fort McMurray, um, our thoughts and our prayers. And all the rest are with you. And, uh, and we do hope that you're able to make a safe return to your home uh, as soon as is absolutely possible. Yep. All right. So, as always, feedback, uh, scoutingstuffpodcast at gmail.com. We're on the Facebooks. Facebook.com slash scoutingstuffpodcast. I think I think podcasts at the end of it. Gosh, I should really actually commit this to memory. Twitter.com slash SSYSK podcast. Um, we would love to hear from you. We are a well-oiled machine, aren't we? <laughs> yes, efficient. Efficient. Maybe. But, uh, oh, and actually, too, new thing, new thing. Um if you go to scoutingstuffpodcast.com at the uh, on the top bar of the website you will see a link now to send us a message and that'll take you to a page where you can leave a little bit of audio feedback um, it's kind of an experimental feature right now I believe feedback is capped at about one minute but it's an option for you you know if you want to um, basically you know and it just runs in your browser uses your system microphones so just visit the page and click the record link and uh, I think it even gives you the option to like review and decide if you want to save and send that to us or not but anyways that is an option now too and if you send us feedback that way uh, we'll even find a way to work it into the show so new way to get in touch cool alright well thank you again for tuning in and until next time 
be prepared. You don't have a mic. Uh-huh. The podcast is now tense. <laughs> Entirely in I, my hands. I get the podcast. We How do you like them the apples? Uh-huh. Uh, finally. <laughs> oh, what is the scouting motto? Today, be prepared. Be, <laughs> be prepared for the chance of a lifetime. Be prepared for only two mics. <laughs> Today's podcast, we'll be talking about classical Maya civilization. <laughs> We've commandeered the podcast. We're going to talk about what we want to talk about. <laughs>